Thank you for gathering in such beautiful silence. It's a privilege. We're part of a subculture that values silence. that values paying attention to the body-mind. I suppose trying to understand this human experience, trying to live a good life, basically, I suppose. Be happy. Each of us perhaps wants to be a decent person. (laughs) It's confusing, isn't it? This this body-mind is so... complex and so incredibly sensitive. Light touches the eye, touches the eye right now. Or in shape can be perceived. And we've kind of figured out what a lot of these objects are. Things like cushions and Bread, shirts, and the ear, so sensitive. And we've figured out a lot with that too. We can perceive (coughs) sounds and sometimes make sense of them. touches of the body, this whole body is covered with skin, so sensitive. And we navigate this world, we move around the world, motivated, impacted, touched by what we see and hear, we feel in the body. And all of this incredible sensitivity of these organs. Takes in this world and. This amazing. Brain mind. Thing that's. Woven in. Intimately with. The rest of the flesh is trying to make sense, trying to survive, trying to get what's pleasant and get away from what hurts. So sensitive and so brilliant. Such an intense... 
intense capacity to figure out things about the world. Simple questions like, what is this object and what does it do? And, you know, all of us, each one of us is quite astonishingly brilliant. We take it for granted, but it's true. I mean, try to get a, a robot to do a millionth of what you do when you wake up in the morning, first thing before you're even fully conscious. It can't be done. Brilliant. Taking in all this and trying to make sense of this world. When what is seen, when what is heard, when what is felt is the form and the sound and the touch of another human being, that same sensitivity is amplified by some unknown number. can't give you a number, but it's big. You know, it's big. And all of that attempt to make sense of and navigate this world that comes with the eye contact and the ear contact, that comes with the same issues of survival, the same issues of hungering for what's pleasant, pleasant sensations. The same hunger to be safe. And here we are with this amplification of this already astonishing interaction with the world because now it's not just light it's eyes the light touches and forms are perceived and it's it's a man it's a woman and of course all the proliferations of that right it's old it's young and we get into all the likes and dislikes. It's beautiful or handsome or ugly or it smells bad. And then it grows from there. It's mom. Oh my God. It's my mom. Who has these fibers that go all the way down through every cell of my being. Or maybe it's just the neighbor I don't like. Got a few fibers there too, I think. And still, it's just this body-mind trying to exist in this world in a reasonable way. A way that's not too painful. Sometimes it is, but we try. 
to get the good stuff, you know, and to survive. Now, because of this quite astonishing complexity of the human experience, there's all kinds of ways of being, ways of operating, ways of finding sense or finding ease or finding joy or finding meaning or finding a self or finding some structure in this incredible, astonishing, complex human experience that we all share. Some of these systems for trying to understand, for trying to find peace or meaning or pleasure uh, become really important to us. It could be the system of having a family or the system of earning and taking care of money. could be the systems that this amazing brain-mind thing builds for its whole lifestyle. Like, somehow I figured out that lemon and water is good in the morning for me. Okay, pretty simple. I think a lot of people have touched that one. But it's part of my little routine. If I don't have it, it's okay. Little, little thing. Or whatever complexities might grow up. But we also have systems that we've built up to try and help us answer some really basic questions. They're still oriented towards finding some sort of uh, meaning or some sort of peace or happiness. And, I mean, let's face it, what draws us together here in this moment, sitting on these cushions, is some sense that there's something shared that brings us together that may have some value to try and live a decent, reasonable, perhaps happy life. Perhaps we even have some elevated sense of what that would mean, some word like liberation or whatever it might be. And I'm coming to you with a really simple 
offer. And that is to integrate what has been, at least for me, and judging by the silence in this room, I suspect, for many of you, a profound encounter with this thing we call meditation, which is perhaps constructed differently for each of us, yeah? I mean, what do you actually do when you're sitting there? I don't know what you do. What do I do? You know? But we have this sense of perhaps some peacefulness or perhaps some introspection, some observation. And perhaps it's tied in with a sense of the human experience such that it can foster, nurture these things we feel, we believe, we have experienced are good. Like some steadiness of mind or some greater alertness. Perhaps the heart opens in love, vibrates with compassion, whatever it is that we're considering good. And to, to offer in this simple, simple integration that because we are so sensitive to other human beings and because the whole project of the self and hence its intense suffering, isolation, loneliness, confusion is built in relation. That we bring relation to meditation. It's that simple. Now, the why we would do that is going to vibrate in each of us in a different way. Some of you may have come, for example, thinking, this is a good way to improve my ability to relate to people. Fair enough. Some people may come saying, uh, I relate pretty well generally, but speaking is, you know, I, I've got a sharp tongue or something. And so there's some personality construct around talking that might seem like, oh, well, that's an area of my life that might benefit from this meeting point. And for sure, if you engage in a diligent way with significant application, you know, just over time, gently developing mindfulness, calm concentration, steadiness, the the bounty in these particular areas of somehow relating better, whatever that means, or speaking more skillfully, such bounty will arise. 
But one thing that I hope you come to see is that these kinds of benefits are free. You don't have to try for them. You don't have to uh, come and learn a technique that will somehow make these areas more harmonious. Just the bringing together of the power of the meditative qualities of mind. Challenged and amplified by the container of relational meditation practice. And then guided by the Dhamma by some understanding of the natural laws of this human body-mind as we move through this human experience so that there's, if you will, some wisdom in the mix or not just, you know, some kind of a miscellaneous experiment or something. that this is our very simple, but I would suggest uh, quite potent opportunity here together. That's what we're setting out to do. So, it, in, a, in a simple way of saying this, this human experience is essentially relational. And the path of bringing wisdom, compassion, ease and skill can reflect that can function within that with no separation. Do you understand? With no separation. It's just like this moment. Let me ask you a question. How's your mindfulness right now? Pay attention. Are you noticing, for example, the felt sense of the body sitting? Right? It's just here. And you don't have to go anywhere out to get it, do you? It's just remembering. Sati, remembering. That Pali word sati, translated as mindfulness, its root is remembering. So here you are. Here we are. All of us. And I'm just pointing to this. This remembering. So, how is it now? How's the remembering right now? Feel the body, feel your sense of being aware? Are you aware that you're aware right now? You know? Just noticing what it's like to be sensitive to this world. You know what I'm saying? So, 
what we have in my saying these things, if you're listening, we have the voice of another, that's me right now, and wise attention, hopefully, that's you right now, I don't know. But you're looking at me anyway, so. It's the voice of another and wise attention. And that's the formula for the arising of right view, of understanding, of wisdom. And right now, these words are saying what? They're saying, notice the moment. I'm saying something very simple. What's here right now? What's it like? What's it like hearing? What's it like seeing this space? What's it like being asked questions? How's that one? You know? So, there's a relationship here where I'm asking these questions and you're listening and maybe you're actually trying out the stuff I'm suggesting. Well, what is it like to look around here? These beautiful high ceilings, this soft peach color, this glowing light on the walls. What's that like? I think it's exquisite. That's just a reaction. The point is that I'm inviting you to notice the awareness. So I'm supporting sati. Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty darn simple. So here you are in relationship. Are you meditating? Yeah. Or maybe your sits in the morning at home are much, much more mindful than this. Or maybe not. See what I mean? There's a tremendous uh, possibility. And right now there's this teacher-participant construct that we're working with. I've got a microphone. I'm sitting up in the front of the room. I pretend I know what I'm talking about. You pretend I know what I'm talking about. That's even better. So we have this teacher construct. But we don't even need that. Because if we were having a conversation right now, you could be reminding me. Right? In fact, you don't even have to say anything. Just by sitting opposite me, you're looking at me, my looking at you. And here we are in this meditation hall, in this context. Already, it's kind of, we've got a contract, right? Let's be awake together. Something like that. You didn't sign it. But isn't that sort of the agreement if you were to be making that agreement? We would just say, yeah, let's find out. So it's that straightforward. It's that immediate. Even if you're not talking. There's an awareness in there somewhere, right? (laughs) 
this can be uh, nurtured, developed. Does that sound believable to you? I'm shaking my head yes in the hopes that maybe you will be unfrozen. So, maybe that very place in our lives where we most readily and dare I say most totally fall asleep could be a place where we readily wake up. Could happen. But we need support. We need the support of conditions. We have this great space. We have this generous, beautiful staff. All the food and, you know, all that holding of our time together doesn't come without a lot of intelligence, generosity, effort. We have that. That's pretty good. It's a great start. We have also uh, some agreements. Agreements around morality that support our being together. You know, abstaining from sexual activity helps the mind be at peace, but it also means abstaining from any kind of uh, burden placed on another by your expression of selfish lust. See? Since we'll be talking, these things need to be said, don't they? Respect that comes from that. We have this right speech. Now speech is included in meditation. So there's honesty. There's the absence of harsh and idle speech. Very significantly, and this may surprise you, it may not, we also have noble silence. So except in this hall, this entire retreat will be in silence. And not too hard to figure out that if each moment of awakening that we just remember, there's this potential to drop the habit mind. In a moment of pausing, 
to step out of the habit mind. And one of our biggest habitual activities is speech. The habit patterns are quite remarkable if for no other reason than we're so good at it. We don't have to think in order to talk, so we don't. It doesn't work. So when you talk, unless you're really in practice, or it's maybe developed enough momentum in you that kind of there's a consistency of practice, you might say, or of awareness, there is the sliding into, putting on like some kind of diver's wetsuit, the personality. So the personality supports this way of speaking, and this way of speaking sustains the personality. You're back in prison. Right? So if you can have some rigor around this noble silence, it will serve you well. It may seem like, oh, we're talking in the meditation hall. Why shouldn't I talk to my friend as I take a walk? You know, because it seems like, well, it's different. So there's a... There's a few places we can put that under sila. One is just the right speech, noble silence. That was easy. But also, theft. If, if, let's say you're my roommate and I come in after lunch and you're already in the room and I'm kind of either dying to tell you something great that happened or wanting to complain or maybe I just want to chat and get to know you. And I go to talk to you and you're in noble silence. I'm stealing your silence. I'm actually impacting your retreat in a significant way. Even though we talk in dialogue here in the hall. Okay? So out of respect for ourselves and each other, that we can maintain the silence that makes it when we do come back together in speech, in listening. It's like, oh, okay. This is intentional. We have the support of each other. This is our spiritual community. This is it. You'll hear me say some number of times this week, and I every time I say it, it's heartfelt. When I offer you a moment to thank your partners for practice, I'll often say, You couldn't do this without them. 
right? So you'll have been in dialogues like, oh, how obvious. But it's actually quite deep. Because the gift that we give each other of actually showing up with the intention, if you'll allow me to be a little bit um, grand about this, the intention to free the heart, the intention to bring mindfulness where it may have never been at this pitch, to give that to each other in our speaking and our listening is it's very beautiful. And one of the questions I most often get, especially if it's been a, you know, like just a short weekend retreat or something, which I do very little of now, but it's always good to do them and sort of notice what how the room vibrates. It's like just one day in, something's been touched and the question begins to bubble up. What do I do? No one else will do this with me when I leave here. You may feel that towards the end of the retreat, you may not. But the point is that you're right, this is precious. So this is our community. This is our community of practice. And when meditation is really taken into the totality of the interpersonal experience, the notion of sangha, of spiritual community, blossoms in a new way. Sangha is certainly much more than uh, the emotional support we give each other. Sangha is a mutual commitment and support within that commitment to a realization of our native capacity for love and wisdom. It's, it's, that, it's that deep. When we bring the interpersonal into meditation, then there's no barriers anymore between the work of community, the unfolding of relation and the complete freeing of the heart, the understanding that we call insight. It's not separated anymore. And our sense of community can reflect that. I'm not saying anything has to be made here, anything has to be fabricated. You don't have to have any ideas about this. But I am saying... We have this great support. I hope you enjoy it. Because this mind 
this body-mind, is so sensitive to other human beings and in the feedback loop of meditating with another, one can escalate into that sensitivity with stimulating all kinds of excitement and fun or stimulating, um, you know, uh, anger and fear and things like that. Um, And we want to take advantage, or, or shall I say, acknowledge that sensitivity and turn it towards the amplification of mindfulness, concentration, investigation, energy, joy. Why don't I just go ahead and finish? Tranquility, concentration, equanimity. Because that's our aspiration here, and there's this sensitivity that could go the other way, right? There's some specific meditation instructions that we'll be working with. This practice of inside dialogue, this interpersonal meditation practice, has these six meditation instructions. They're very simple, each one of them. I'll even say them so that there's no mystery for those who haven't heard of them or anything. Pause. Relax. Open. Trust emergence. Listen deeply. Speak the truth. Each one of these instructions opens out into uh, uh, a rich field of meditative qualities of the heart. But it's good in the dynamic quality of interpersonal contact to have simple, simple handles to support the remembering of meditation. That's what that's about. It's all a construct. It's all just made up fabricated a bunch of words but it's fabricated (laughs) to be helpful in the face of the actuality of this relating human experience so we'll be learning these gradually over the first few days of the retreat we'll be introducing them sequentially And by the end of that time, when you've got them all, you'll also be well into the practice. Uh, It may be, um, you know, that your mind, conditioned by prior meditation practice that you've done, is actually quite meditative. I don't know. But anyway, you'll have some sense of where we're going. Meanwhile, we'll be actually touching in this actual human experience, no intellect, 
other than just the normal operation of intellect. But what I should say is intellect in service of the heart, in service of embodied understanding. (coughs) So our conversations, our dialogues, will be centered around Dhamma, natural law, in actual experience. And that too will be introduced and supported over time. So if you ever have any questions, there'll be plenty of opportunity to ask questions. If you have any other concerns, you can speak to me as you need to at an appropriate time. But this is, of course, usually something just like it is in traditional practice, Give the practice a chance to work itself through you. Let the, let the Dhamma do the work. But know that you're supported. We'll have plenty of silent meditation practice. First thing in the morning. All the meals. Every time we meet after a meal, our first time of being together will be in silent meditation. And there'll be silences throughout the Insight Dialogue sessions, shorter or longer, we'll see. And um, so you should have plenty of support for your practice. And always care for your body. If a time for a uh, restroom break hasn't been called and you are being called, uh, by all means, just say to your partner, I'm sorry. I have to go. It's okay. No problem. Um, But, just so you know, I've been teaching a long time. I'm kind of sensitive to the timing of those things. But, A, I'm not perfect, and B, I don't know your body. So care for your body. If you need chairs, use chairs. If there's any left. You can move up and down between chairs and cushions. See what you need to support your practice. And we'll be doing occasionally body movement as a way of uh, bringing ease and energy to the body or whatever is called for. So all in all, you know, I think you could probably feel pretty comfortable, relaxed with what's going to be offered. Each, either pair or small group, is a confidential unit. That's to, you know, whatever is said there just stays there. If you want to uh, share in the larger space your experience, share your experience, but don't reveal anything personal about uh, who you were with. And also, in this whole retreat, that's also confidential. So when we leave here, it all stays here. Usually it's not much of an issue. This is not a um, 
practice built around self-disclosure, but I just want to say that so that you can feel at ease with whatever happens. But you'll see that the meditating mind has so much love in it that I don't think it'll be an issue. So I think that's about the sense of what we're doing and why and a little bit about the how. All done without a single PowerPoint slide. Are there any uh, anything unclear, anything vibrating for you? Okay, thanks. Ah, uh, actually, uh, you, if you know, do you know the Dhamma pretty well, the teachings of the Buddha? Oh, okay, because I've been talking about the Buddha the whole night. <laughs> he said I didn't mention the Buddha, and um, uh, when I mentioned the Dhamma, to me, that's the Buddha. And when I mention Sangha, that's the Buddha. And uh, when I mention the Buddha, that's also the Buddha. And um, But I appreciate your calling that out, because um, what I'm saying is not a facile answer. I really mean that. Um, And it's my hope that we can come, become intimate with this human experience in exactly the way the Buddha, as a human being, became intimate with the human experience. and abide in the uh, naturalness and um, relationality that I now see are infused in teachings where those qualities have sometimes been difficult to to sense. So, um, so we're all taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. Thank you very much. So I'd like to invite us actually into some practice now because um, it's good to touch even in this first night. We won't go too late or too long because many of you have traveled and uh, I respect that. I respect that there may be tiredness or anything else. But at the same time, it's kind of good to break the ice a little bit, to feel the practice just a little bit. And if nothing else, to learn what it's like to stand up, walk around, find a partner, and sit down with them 
you know? That'll be very natural within a day or two. 